The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. If you're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. The Scott Frost era comes to an unceremonious and somewhat stunning conclusion that wasn't the end of the carnage wreaked by the Sun Belt Fun Belt over the past weekend. And College Game Day headed to a new location Boone, North Carolina, we are coming to your city. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, September 12th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. And Pete, you know, let's start with the news that came yesterday. Scott Frost, it seemed over after the loss to Northwestern in Dublin. It was certainly over after the loss to Georgia Southern. And Trev Alberts, didn't want to wait until October. He couldn't wait to October and save the money that uh, would have been saved by cutting Scott Frost buyout in half. You have to give him money, send him on the way. And this, people are wrong about coaching decisions and coaching moves all the time. I could not have been more wrong, nor could I have been more surprised by the fact that this didn't work. When he came and, and turned UCF and in two years had them undefeated, dynamic offense, explosive, you knew he couldn't do it the same way. But the NFL experience, the Oregon experience, everything seemed perfect. And I'm, I'm at a loss for exactly why it never got better and why it didn't work in Lincoln. Well, let's just start with the transaction itself, Reese, which, again, to me, I'm not surprised a lot. It just in, in, I guess the best way to say that is like there, there's not a whole lot of things where I go wow. And Trev Albert's decision to eat seven point five million dollars for basically three weeks um, is an amazing decision to me. Like that is that I was I was flat footed and floored by that decision. Um, now there is some nobility in it. Hey, let's give these players a chance to go make a bowl. Let's let's try to salvage this season. Boy, oh boy, $7.5 million is a lot of money. And if you could gut it up for three weeks and, and you know, fire them, uh, I guess that would have been right around Rutgers um, when that, that, that happened, or, or maybe it, it, the, the fact that this will, this decision in this moment will be, will be talked about for years. And I get, I get completely why they did it. Um, and, I understand it, but still to like watch it happen in real time, mm-hmm. it was a pretty, it was pr- a pretty amazing thing. Cause I think, uh, you know, I've been pretty clear in my, in my reporting all along, all right, buyout gets cut in half and it wasn't like a million bucks and we shouldn't sneeze at a million bucks either, but boy, $7.5 million to, to not wait 20 or so days. That, that to me is interesting in a bunch of ways. I, I think it's, it's interesting. So they play Indiana October 1st. So I guess they could have. I don't think they would have fired him the morning of that game. You would have had to no. fire Rutgers. So it's two games, three weeks, two games, basically. Um, t- to me, this is what it says about Nebraska. And there's a lot of different dynamics uh, that this job being open and a lot of different storylines, if you will, because it's a collision of a bunch of moments that we're in in college sports. But the one thing Trev Albers made very clear is we're not going to be afraid to spend. Mm-hmm. All right. Money is no object. Clearly, 
if you're flushing seven and a half million bucks for two games, that is a standing on the table, screaming sign that Nebraska so badly wants to be back. Mm -hmm. So loudly wants to be back that they are, and they are so committed to being back. Now you could call it foolish if you want, but they're at the big boy table. They're on the right side of that big 10 contract right Mm -hmm. now. And they are, they are going for it. And this is, this will be a fascinating three months to see how this unfolds. They have the money because of the contract you mentioned. They also have some well-heeled boosters as that is documented. I want to touch on the Trev aspect of it. Uh, As you know, he and I spent many years in studio together. Um, Our, uh, we've remained very friendly um, over the years too. I'm not surprised by the decision, but if he knew he was going to do it now, look, we all have to remember that athletic directors have to have even permission to do something of that nature that much money, but I'm not surprised by his decision because had he waited until October 1st, when it was apparent to everybody after Saturday night, that this was not going to be turned around, it was done. He wouldn't drag it out because then people could have said, you're greedy. You did it to save the money. Uh, You left Scott Frost twisting in the wind. He's not going to do that personally, nor because of his love for Nebraska, is he going to allow that narrative to start. So I'm sure once he got approval to be able to just give Scott his money, uh, thanks for giving it a shot and send him on his way. I'm not surprised at all that he went ahead and chose to do it. I don't think he wanted to do it. He, I know for a fact that he wanted it to work because he, that's why he gave him another year in hopes that it would work. It's apparent now that it's not, that it wasn't going to, it was never going to work and they have to make a change. And look, he's going to go big because his love for that place runs deep and he doesn't need, he doesn't need this for validation personally. He's not that kind of guy. And he, I think he runs his department in that way. So he's trying to do this for the good of Nebraska. Um, and this is sort of like a end of the run job for him. He's a young man, but he's done very well. And, you know, he was, you know, he had done well at, at, in Omaha and was kind of ready to let it go. So he he's able to put the the needs of the institution, the athletic department first. And, and that was a tough decision, but he's not averse to making tough decisions. Um, there's, a, there's a personal component, Pete, that always makes me feel bad when it happens at your alma mater, particularly at a place in which you are held in extraordinarily high regard as Scott Frost was as a player. And I'm sure in many quarters, once this uh, heals, will still be as a person. I think back to Ray Goff at Georgia, um, quarterback that was highly thought of in the Bulldog community, never really got it going, got fired. You know, it's never quite the same. Mike DeBose at Alabama, fan favorite, almost foisted upon the athletic department to be hired. Abject disaster, never the same in terms of the relationship. And one thing, um, I don't want to take us off too far on a tangent in the rabbit hole. I had an athletic director tell me one time there was a very, it was a very tenuous situation in the athletic department. I mean, you know what? Why not? I'm going to go ahead and say who it is. Alabama didn't hire Sylvester Croom largely because they felt like the program was in such a horrible state with all of the NCAA investigations, the sanctions, that they weren't sure anybody could get through that. And they felt like that it wasn't going to be the coach they hired. Then it was going to be the next one. 
you know, that would yeah. that would have a chance. And as it turned out, the next one after that was Nick Saban. And right or wrong, and you can you can criticize that. And I didn't agree with the decision. I actually thought they should have hired Sylvester Croom when they hired Mike Shula. But that was one of the reasons is because in you know, Sylvester had a closer tie to the university and to the administration there than Shula did. Shula played there. He didn't have the same type of relationships personally there. And they didn't want to jeopardize that. And they probably did anyway by not hiring him. But that's that's a different story. My point is, I always feel badly when it goes awry at your alma mater because college years and especially a college career like Scott Frost had is such a important part of people's lives and to have that changed altered tainted a little bit is is sad to me and I, I feel badly that it went that way for Scott yeah well we'll go from sentimental to bottom line reality and, there's a couple, <laughs> and that's kind of what we do here is it yeah. here's, here's the here's the guy I always kind of look at the personal side and he's like I'm the cold northeasterner right here let me yeah, tell you how no, this I'm, is I'm gonna play my I'm gonna play my role <laughs> um so couple things on this Nebraska job that I think are that I think are pretty interesting. One is Nebraska is a better job today than it was three months ago. And that's because of the Big Ten contract and the mm-hmm. separation that's become more clear and distinct. It was always going to be separate. The Big Ten was always going to be separate along with the SEC. But those lines have been drawn and they are deeper than they have ever been. So if you are a mid-tier coach, upper-tier coach, from one of the three other power five leagues, I think you look at Nebraska a little bit differently than you did a few months ago. Now there's still playoff access from those other leagues. So you can go win them. But if you roll out a bet every day and you want to try to make the college football playoff, I think, especially with the way it's going with all the at-large bids, I think you have, I think you have to look longer and harder at Nebraska because middle of the road, big 10 jobs are just that much better because 10 years from now, you're going to have a half billion more dollars than whatever place you're in, in right now. And that it, especially with NIL and how things are changing, uh, you know, it's going to be better facilities. It's going to be better support. It's going to be better experience for your players, which I think is important and sometimes overlooked, but at the end of the day, you're going to end up with a better roster when you have that, just because of how dynamics are uh, dynamics are changing. And look like Jim Harbaugh keeps talking about this revenue share idea. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't feel like that's that far away. I do feel like that the monetary separation is going to go beyond the weight room pretty soon. Right. Yeah. So yeah. as, as we look at it, it's like that there's one moment we're in that, that makes the Nebraska job pretty, pretty interesting. Um, and we'll get into some names later, but there are some names that like a year ago, they might've been like, eh. And now you're like, Oh, okay. Um, moment two, we're in, it was really, uh, a, a nice little, uh, dollop of irony that Clay Helton in Georgia Southern, Boom. I was, was going to say that yeah. was the team that did this. It was literally a year ago where Clay Helton, uh, laid a dinosaur egg against Stanford in the Coliseum and got fired, uh, early, early the next week that allowed Clay Helton to get hired by Georgia Southern, Jared Benko, the AD there, I believe hired him November 1st. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't November 1st, it was a single digit November day. And maybe the press conference was the third, something like that. But that deal was done in early November. That allowed Clay Helton to do a few things. He could go and re-recruit the current players on the roster, which is such an important aspect of modern college football that didn't exist a few years ago. You just get the job and get in a car and go and just assume your guys are going to be around. But now at the portal, they can go anywhere. You can So you can build relationships with your current players, evaluate the roster, to what is needed and whether you want all the current players. And then you can 
work both recruiting and the transfer portal to fill needs. So he basically got a six week head start. Now I can't go like, you know, position by position and tell you how much that helped Georgia Southern if they got a better left guard because of it. But that is a massive, massive advantage. Jim Mora had a similar advantage at UConn. Uh, obviously, Texas Tech made a similar decision very early in the season, and Joey McGuire was able to take advantage of that with all his Texas high school ties. And he was unique because he was a non-coordinator, and he was at a, quite frankly, a conference rival. Like when mm-hmm. Joey was going to take that job at Baylor that day, they were like, oh, we better get Joey out of the office. You know, like it wasn't like, let's keep him around to run special teams or whatever. Like it yeah. was like, nope, <laughs> like Joey's got to go. Yeah. And that was the best thing for 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 tech in his tenure there, which is obviously off to uh, obviously off to a, a, a nice start with that uh, nail biting win over uh, over Houston this weekend. So can Nebraska do that, Reese? Can they take this very early firing and turn it into advantage? I don't see a retread that fits right now. Uh, Dan Mullen, I don't think would fit Tom Herman. I don't think would be a good no. fit there. Um, so I, there's not a glaring candidate, but, um, and, and then we can get into dynamics and names. So if you don't make that early November hire, one thing that does is that AD, just they're, they're, they're not going to do that, Pete. They can't yeah. do that. I mean, there's yeah. nobody there that, sure. that has, yeah. the, has the chops to handle that job that could be there November. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think so either. So yeah. then you start playing roulette because then you start saying, if it's a, say it's Bill O'Brien, right? Well, Alabama's probably going to play in the SEC title game, despite what we saw on Saturday. And they're probably going to be in the college football playoff because they've been in seven of eight of them. Like you all of a sudden, like inherent complications emerge with whoever with whoever you end up picking. And it ends up being a really tricky game of chicken. So um, and it's a high stakes game of chicken, because the one thing we know about the Nebraska job is they are not going to be afraid to pay because they have to, because that is their strategic advantage. It's yeah. no longer the fan base. It's no longer the tradition. Kids don't care about Nebraska, period, end of story. If you are a 16 or 17-year-old high school recruit, you have never seen Nebraska good. There is just there is zero residence, resonance, excuse me, of that program nationally. So it's uh it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting moment in time in, in, in Nebraska. Can they can NIL be a huge advantage there? Um, that's one thing. If I was Trev Alberts, they've obviously done some work on, on the NIL front already. Like that has to, like, you have to channel the passion. The fan base passion is probably the number one separator you have from the rest of college football. Cause God bless those fans. They haven't left. Mm-hmm. They've been given a lot of reasons to leave and they haven't left. Uh, yeah, they won't. There, there's one name at the top of the list to me. That's the obvious target. And, you know, Trev Alberts has yet to confide in me about that, but he should. Uh, but there's an ob- there's an <laughs> obvious thing. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll share I'll share it with you, and we can. By the way, um, quick aside, and right back to this: the tweets that pop up with your news breaking, which is unparalleled in the industry, by the way, that now pop up on College Game Day. We've got to have a name for them, much like the Woj bombs when I hosted the NBA draft, when Adrian Wojnarowski would come up with the news. Uh, I don't know what they are. We we respectfully ask for submissions from our listeners for the little tweets that come up on the screen of Pete giving you the last second news. We need a name for that. Um, but there is a name that's the obvious choice should make him say no. And for people who listen to the podcast in my day last year, I promise you, I'm not saying Matt Rule because even though I think he's a terrific coach, that's not the name. You got to go try to get Matt Campbell. 
I know that's easy to say, but the some of the things you mentioned, there's going to be more money available uh, in terms of salary for Big Ten school at Nebraska than there is at Iowa State with whatever the Big 12 television contract turns out to be. It, it is a similar job, though, in terms of in terms of recruiting footprint, uh, uh, geography, types of players needed to succeed. And Matt has proven uh, to be an expert in that regard. It is also a good time for him to take the next step if he wants to. There's nothing wrong with staying in Ames. I don't want to make our good Cyclone fans sound as if I'm trying to chase him out. If he is looking for the next step, you finally unburdened yourself of the Cyhawk jinx and won that game last week, beat Iowa. So you've won that. Um, you've proven that you can beat the elite programs. You, you know the type of player that you can attract to Iowa State is going to be a similar type of player that at least in the beginning that you can mine and find the Brees Halls that nobody saw. He has he has the organization that understands how to get players. They know how to, to play against teams that have better overall talent or at least more high-end top line, more high-end top top-level talent. He's the first guy. I think you have to make him say no and sell him on why Nebraska is a super enhanced, potentially super enhanced version of what he already has at Iowa State. And I think I think personally and culturally he would fit too. Yes. I, I think if I had to handicap and rank, I would I would agree with you completely that that Matt Campbell is your target and you have to use the big chess piece that you have, which is your pocketbook. Iowa State cannot afford to compete with Nebraska for that. And I do think there's a there's a piece culturally of Matt Campbell that really fits. He's a he's a Midwestern guy. He's a you know Mount Union guy uh, from where he went to college. He actually went to Pitt and then transferred to Mount Union, um, and you know won prolifically while he was there and, and came up in a very impressive uh, in, impressive tree. Um, you know he was obviously a target at USC last year if they if they weren't able to hit the Lincoln Riley jackpot. He's been judicious, right? He's not a hunter. That's not Matt Campbell's nature. He's not somebody who, you know, is going to go and, you know, uh, you know, have have his name leaked for a bunch of jobs. He's he's a guy who's been very happy in his place. And I think part of his personality is he doesn't want to be a superstar coach, right? Like he's not a front facing me guy. And some of that, some of that and some of his a little bit preference to just be totally and completely locked in on the team, they they let him do pretty much what he wants at Iowa State. And mm -hmm. so that it, Nebraska, there's going to be more outside responsibilities. You, you, it's just a different, it's just a whole different deal there. But I really think that, uh, yeah, I really think if we had to rank them, Matt Campbell's kind of the no, the no brainer number one. And uh, this Reese's, I think, where, where we have to bring in Sarah Abbott, our yep. producer, who is from Lincoln or went to high school in Lincoln. And where else did you live in Nebraska, Sarah, to show your bona fides? Yeah, so I moved to Lincoln when I was in high school, and then right. our whole family is from this little town called Hooper, Nebraska. So, Hooper. shout out Hooper! Yeah, is All that right. spelled? Is that spelled like Hooper, but pronounced Hooper? It Hooper? yes, it sure is. It's okay. It's spelled like Hooper, Nebraska, but it's pronounced Hooper. So I okay. have to give them some love. I, I'm somewhat because you're such a kind, caring person. Uh, I was disarmed when I first came on the podcast and you were smiling ear to ear. It, that seems so out of character for you to take glee 
and this unfortunate moment for for Nebraska <laughs> and for Scott Frost. I see it as a lovely refresh, a restart. You know, obviously sad for Scott Frost and his family, and we so badly wanted it to work out, but you know, in the wise words of Ariana Grande, thank you, next. <laughs> so what does your grandmother feel about this? Your grandmother has been tracking this Nebraska situation very closely, and this is very Nebraska, right? Fathers and sons and grandmothers and granddaughters, and it ties the whole state together. You sound like Wright Thompson now. Yeah, I was sorry about that. Big, 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 yeah, uh, now you're sentimental. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yes, so I consulted Grammy. Grammy, okay. the angel saint she is, just wants everybody to be happy, wants the best for the school. And she said, direct quote, is Tom Osborne too old? So <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm here to tell you one thing with Trev's reverence for Tom Osborne. If he weren't, that would be the guy. <laughs> what, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with uh, I'm letting listeners behind the curtain here a little bit. What are you going to do with the Scott Frost t-shirt you own? Yes. So if you're from Lincoln and you went to college from the time of 2015 to 2019, you know Barry's Bar handed out t-shirts that said, Welcome home, Scott Frost. And um, I think that t-shirt is going to be in a lovely t-shirt blanket now. It's going to be a nice little memory of what could have been. Is it with like the Mike Riley t-shirt and the Bo Pelini t-shirt? I unfortunately did not have a Bo Pelini shirt, but I would love one because Bo Pelini, the Twitter account, is my favorite thing ever. And oh, that's that was funny. a sad day for me. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. cat. Yeah. Yeah. Bo Pelini. It's brilliant, by the way. A Bo Pelini t shirt would, I mean, it, it would be made out of steel wool. For a sudden, wouldn't it? It kind of scratched. it would feature a swear word on it, or like like an exclamation point asterisk where some letters should be. I, I'm pretty convinced that he left a curse on the program. Uh, no pun intended. Well, maybe small pun intended. He left a curse on the program when he left, and I mean, they haven't been the same. I know that that wasn't what they wanted. They didn't. What what was the what was the joke? You can't spell Polini without four L's. Uh, they, they, they'd take eight and four, nine and four consistently after what they've endured since then, pretty much. Right. Yeah. I think we need a sage Memorial stadium or something. Something needs to happen. There's a curse, the Bo Pelini curse for sure. Maybe bring out the cat. Yeah. So Matt Campbell, Sarah, Matt Campbell. I'm all in on Matt Campbell. I also am not discounting Mickey Joseph one bit. I think that we need to look at his resume here. He was from LSU he had players like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Like, I don't think he's someone we should count out. One thing I've learned in coaching searches, in uh, the Ed Orgeron search and the Clay Helton search at USC taught me this, is there's an emotional connection between the athletic director and the coach who now have to work together for nine games, right, um, here coming up that shouldn't be underestimated. Like, just because someone's an interim doesn't mean they're not working as hard and they're not as invested. And I know Trev well enough to know he's going to be invested for these nine games. Yes. So yeah. there's a human element to that. It's easy to be like, ah, that guy's not qualified or ah, that guy's just the interim. But if you start to win and you start to get some momentum and change the feeling, don't, don't, yeah, don't underestimate them. Now I don't think Mickey Joseph is going to get the job, but I'm happy he has the opportunity because it's been well-earned 
through great work for for decades in college football and uh that but if they get hot which quite frankly i think they're talented enough to get hot a mm-hmm. little bit here in 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 you know in the bar look the bar's been set pretty low let's be honest yeah so you win a couple of big 10 west games and all of a sudden people are going to uh you know people are going to get buzzing before we move on there's one quick thing i want to mention check out our buddy chris the bear felica on his podcast stanford steve and the bear stanford steve also our buddy every thursday steve and the bear look ahead to the weekend's lines and share their best bets at stanford steve and the bear follow the show wherever you're listening to this podcast Let's go full circle and do something rapid fire before we finish up. We've talked extensively about Matt Campbell. We've talked about retreads. Let's have uh, let's have Sarah or Ta- let's have Sarah do it. Sarah, we'll give real quick rapid fire answers. I want you to run down Pete's Nebraska list that he put out for potential coaching candidates here. And when we come back on Wednesday and Friday, we turn the page toward the weekend. But right now. Let's go quick yeses or nos in terms of you like it or no shot or bad idea on the list of potential Nebraska candidates. Sarah, do you have the list in front of you? I sure do. Of course you do. All right, Pete, this is your list. You get first shot. Sarah, read the name and we'll go rapid fire. Yes, no, what we think. Okay, well, the first one is Matt Campbell. So, yes. Well, we've 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 covered Matt Campbell. So yeah, we'll, yeah, uh, quite a bit. yeah, yeah. Next, Mark Stoops. Yeah, I think he's a guy worth throwing a dump truck of money in. He is great, great uh, suggestion. He's got a better job now. I say no. Dave Aranda. Midwest ties would would make a lot of sense. Would be a good cultural fit. Probably not. I think probably not. Also, but a great idea. Uh, and also, they will have the money advantage in the Big Ten over the Big Twelve. But I say probably not. But he would do a great job. They would be a great, great do a great job anywhere. Next is Bill O'Brien. I don't know if you'll ever come to Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Bill O'Brien wants to be a college football head coach. I think he was a very good one at Penn State under the one of the most difficult circumstances ever. I was surprised, actually stunned. He didn't get more traction in, in the last cycle. I think it's, you know, Bill O'Brien's a really, really good football coach. I agree. That will not excite the Nebraska fan base, but it probably should. If they wind up with Bill O'Brien, as opposed to, you know, a Matt Campbell, that is a win. I mean, he's huge. I would love Bill O'Brien. I just don't know who he would come. <laughs> Next up, we have Lance Leipold. Lance Leipold spent about a decade in the state of Nebraska, both at Nebraska and Nebraska Omaha. Deep roots. Um, obviously has made a distinct difference overhauling Kansas in a short period of time. His record at Wisconsin Whitewater, this is off the top of my head, I believe was 109 and six <laughs> with six national titles. It might have been 106 and nine, but I'm pretty sure it was 109 and six. Regardless, pretty good track record, fits that Midwestern wholesome vibe that the the Nebraska folks, your grandmother would really like Lance Lightfoot. I checked my preseason chart, Pete. Your memory's uh, infallible as always. One hundred nine and six. That's insane. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I don't care what level yeah. you are. It's not like he's he's taking in Ohio State players and playing at the Division Three level. Um, 
that would be another great hire. He, too, is the type of guy who could succeed at Nebraska. Again, I'm not sure how excited the fan base would be. That, too, would be a win. Good, good choice. Yes. Anything to make Grammy happy. So I'm all in. Jim Leonard. He has shown a little more interest in leaving Wisconsin uh, in recent years than he did early in his career. He's been remarkably successful, kind of fits the the Midwestern vibe there. It would be a big jump, though, you know, just not knowing not knowing what he would be as a head coach. That's a that's a big job. But he's he's an interesting name to me. Interesting name. Don't think it's the right thing for Nebraska. Think it's the right thing and what likely will happen. It could be wrong, but I think he'll sit right there in Madison until he becomes the head coach in Madison. So that's fair. PJ Fleck. PJ Fleck would give an energy jolt and a recruiting jolt to a place that needs hope and needs players. Agreed. Uh, I'm a big PJ Fleck fan. I think. Uh, because of his style and his, which is genuine in my judgment, has yeah. to be the right place and the right fit. Um, I think he's got a very similar job right now. Maybe a little more. The history is more recent at Nebraska than it is at Minnesota. Um, I think it'd be a great get for Nebraska. I'm not sure if if the move would make a ton of sense for PJ. Chris Kleiman. So they're obviously you know, coming off an authoritative win that we didn't get into today, but they just dump truck Missouri. And he has a lot of resonance in that footprint. Obviously he's been successful and in, in turned the corner at K state and obviously was massively successful at North Dakota state, um, which is, which are two places they pay a little more attention to in Lincoln because of geographic uh, difference. Mm-hmm. So good coach steady as the day is long, a lot of fit there. Yeah, the same the same thing that I said about Leipold applies to Kleiman too. That would be another win. And a, this is a good list for Nebraska. If they get a coach off of this list, yes. they're they're winning. Well, that is exciting. Next up is Dave Doran. So Dave Doran's the NC State head coach. Now I was somewhat mocked on Twitter yesterday for this list for being too optimistic for Nebraska. And I will defend myself only by saying. The greatest power in college sports is money, and Nebraska has money, and they could give every single one of these coaches, even Mark Stoops, quite frankly, um, a lot more. Even Sam Pittman doesn't really make that much at Arkansas. We're going to get to him in a minute. So that said, Dave Doran has a upper-middle-class ACC job that isn't going to be resourced and funded the same way Nebraska does. Doran has been in the Midwest at Wisconsin and Kansas over the years. He fits some Nebraska-type sensibilities, and he's one that maybe a year ago might not have thought about this job, and maybe you have to now because the dynamics of the landscape have changed so much. Uh, I, I I agree with that, Pete. Uh, he's His job right now, if you look at it from a purely competitive standpoint, he's got a better path, even with the juggernaut of Clemson standing there, better path where he is. You don't know how the finances will play into this if, you know, if, Nebraska would choose him and be willing to pay him a lot more money. That would be the impetus there. Dave, Dave would do a good job there. All right. Speak of Sam Pittman. He's up next. Sam Pittman. So Sam Pittman, uh, you know, he'd bring the liquor. He wouldn't bring the uh, he wouldn't bring the tea to uh, to the Nebraska job. And I, I think you know he's making five million dollars a year, which is great. If you sold Sam Pittman three years ago to make five million dollars a year, he would sprint to sign it. Um, 
here's the thing. What's stopping Nebraska from paying eight million bucks if they get a guy in in that can support him? And look, you want to talk about defying gravity? What Sam Pittman's doing at Arkansas is defying gravity in the SEC West. And eventually gravity catches up to you. So um I, I think Arkansas fans did not appreciate my inclusion of Sam Pittman, but there are some realities of the Arkansas job and the realities of what he's paid right now that I think would, you know, he's worth a tire kick for Trevor. Uh, more money coming, the SEC contract. I'll stick with uh with my rationale with Mark Stoops. Be a great hire, got a better job. I think he'll I think already right now, I think he'll he'll stay put. Pete had me at bring liquor instead of tea to Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Next is Alex Grinch. So Alex Grinch has been down the road with some, you know, power five jobs. And uh, he's, he's bounced around quite a bit just geographically. Now he's the defensive coordinator at USC. I think when you start to look at coordinators who would be on the list for Nebraska, it's a pretty short list. And I don't really count Bill O'Brien as a coordinator because he's been an NFL head coach and head coach. So I think, I don't think it gets to Grinch, but I think in the, when sort of trying to evaluate these jobs holistically, that was, that was a coordinator that, that made some sense. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't support that. If I were advising Nebraska, not because I don't think Alex is a great coach. I don't think it's the right time for Nebraska to take a flyer. I think they would be better off, even if they can't get uh, Kleiman, Leipold, you know, someone of that ilk, find the next one. I think they would be better off finding a highly successful coach at a lower level and bringing him in, someone who has uh, knowledge of how exactly he wants to build the program and has done it. That's what Nebraska needs right now, as opposed to um, as opposed to someone like Grinch, who probably will be a terrific head coach at some point. I don't think Nebraska is the right place for him. Even if they got way down the list, I would broaden my horizons in a different direction. Next is Matt Entz. So Matt Entz is a two-time national championship winner at North Dakota State, and is again, if you're in Nebraska, that's an that's a model the North Dakota state model that you have to be and should be intrigued by. So I think Matt Enns is a really interesting, uh, interesting name there. I don't think it rises to him, but I, I think the, the body of work uh, necessitated his inclusion. Take what I just said about Alec Grant, Alex Grinch and apply it to Matt Entz as to why if the, if you get down the list, he's the kind of guy you go find instead of taking a flyer on the coordinator. So if you get down the list, I would support that. That that That's the type of thinking Nebraska needs in this coaching hire, if they can't land Campbell, O'Brien, you know, the people at the top. Next is Brett Belima. Brett Belima is that part of the world. He's obviously from Iowa, from his famous tattoo. He has won in the Big Ten West. He would have a distinct style. He has won three Big Ten championships, I believe. And you can you you could get away. And he's done wonders at Illinois um, already. Like the, he's clearly shown programmically he can get a place resuscitated. Um, that might be a fun little uh, bidding war. Um, but I believe in Brett Bielma, and I think that he could he could fit in just fine there. Thousand percent. Another another big time win if they can lure. Uh, Brett, who we affectionately like to call Bert because he only he only uses one T in the spelling of his name. If they could lure him away from Illinois, move him to Nebraska, that would be a huge win. But I'm sure the Illini will use some of that television money to try to keep that from happening, too. And then we have Jamie Chadwell. 
Jamie Chadwell geographically is not a fit. Schematically, he is really intriguing because it would return to some of Nebraska's roots. I mean, Nebraska has to take a long look at itself and say, do we need to be a little schematically different in order to compete? Because we don't have any local recruiting knowledge. No offense to all those fine Hooper Tigers or uh, who, you know, I don't think there's a lot of five stars coming out of there. Uh, So uh, Chadwell is innovative offensively. He's been a head coach at a bunch of different levels. He has never been a power five coach, which is why he's still at coastal. And he, uh, he is quintessentially Southern. Um, which is different than being quintessentially Midwestern. So, uh, but, but boy, there's some, he is, he has a charm to him. Um, and I know Reese, you had those guys on, on game day a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, there's a charm and a charisma and, and also a competitive streak that make him pretty rare. I think Jamie's path is going to be interesting. And I think there are some fits here, but I, the geography would be hard to overcome. Yes. Bad fit. Good coach. Next step needs to be certain ACC, or maybe there are a couple of SEC jobs where Jamie could fit. Uh, not, not the, not the right fit. Good coach, um, but not the right fit for Nebraska. If you're going in that direction, and I would, I think they should consider uh, Jeff Munkin at Army. He he won't if he goes to Nebraska. He won't run the offense the same way he runs it at Army. He just won't. And he Jeff's had a hard time convincing uh, prospective employers of that, but he won't. And he's a really disciplined coach who's uh, who's turned things around there. And he he if you're going in that schematic direction, he is smart enough, innovative enough to do some things that would be different. But it won't be like Army for everybody who you know gets scared. And you know Arizona made a catastrophic error in allowing Khalil Tate to stop them from hiring Ken Niamatololo. Now I know oh. that it's. It's gone a little sideways at, at Navy last couple of years, but uh, Ken wouldn't have run the option that way at Arizona either. And maybe Arizona has it fixed now. Munkin won't run the option the same way if somebody hires him away from Army. And I think if you're looking at that, he would be my guy as opposed to Chadwell. And he's got Chicago ties to honestly, his brother is a uh, prominent high school coach in Illinois. Like there's some, there's some Midwestern resonance there. And yeah, just the pure sheer discipline, like people in Nebraska would like Munkin. Love to hear that. Last but not least, Troy Calhoun. So all Troy Calhoun does is win. That's all he does. He's won. He's won big at Air Force with inferior players and he's figured out a way to do it. They've done things different offensively. They've evolved. They've, you know, he has turned down Tennessee in the past. He has turned down bigger jobs. He's been judicious, and it would certainly bring a distinct identity style flair. Uh, the offense would evolve, you know, just like the last conversation we had. And uh, I don't know. There's it, it makes a lot of sense in some ways. Agreed. Thousand percent. Can't add more to that. Troy Calhoun would be a good hire at Nebraska. Really good hire. You know, that really brings us to the next uh, Sunbelt, Funbelt, um, giant slaying from the past weekend, Marshall taking down Notre Dame. And we mentioned it on game day a couple of times Saturday. You sort of forget because of the positive momentum that Notre Dame had uh, that, you know, they fell late in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. Then they went to Ohio State. No one expected them to win. They played better than expected that Marcus was still looking, Marcus Freeman was still looking for his first win. Now, Marshall comes in, 
talented team with a lot of transfers, another rising star in coaching, by the way, and Charles Huff on the other mm-hmm. sidelines. No question. And, and they go in and win the game. And, and I, I, watched, I watched that back last night because of the travels to USC. And we saw the end. I watched the game back last night. I mean, they, they looked legit. <laughs> they looked yeah. really, really good. But that doesn't help Notre Dame feel better about uh, now starting 0-2, losing at home to Marshall. And yet it brings up the memories of the other coaches who've gone into Notre Dame without any head coaching experience. I believe in even dating back to the ancient Notre Dame history of Terry Brennan. Uh, then obviously Jerry Faust came from high school and Bob Davey had never been a head coach and, and uh, Chuck Weiss had never been a head coach. And, you know, each of those had their moments, but it didn't, you know, ultimately the job sort of swallowed all of them. And I don't think that – I really don't think that's going to happen to Marcus Freeman. I was so impressed with his command. He didn't look out of place or overwhelmed by the moment at Ohio State. Um, I think he took, you know, he took ownership after the Marshall game and, and showed leadership. I don't think it's going to go that way. I don't think that's me just rooting. But, boy, that, that was a tough one to take for, for the start of a regime to start 0-3 at Notre Dame. Yeah, I think my my takeaway from that game, and I did not watch it back in full um, like you, is is more of a broader take on Notre Dame, and that that quarterback room is not mm-hmm. up to national type, top ten national title standard stuff right now. And right, that game, if anything, I'm not worried about Marcus Freeman. First of all, like obviously, I'm not he needs to get going. Yeah. But in the big picture, yeah. I'm not. There is no panic button. Everything outside of the results on Saturday has gone as well and seamlessly as it can. So there, there's no worry there, but if you're going to win in modern college football, you need a quarterback. There is not a top 25 capable quarterback in that room. And there is not enough skill. Now the recruiting class has addressed the skill. The recruiting class has addressed the quarterback with, with uh, Lloyd Carr's grandson coming down from Michigan. The problem is they, they need a bridge quarterback. So for me, my takeaway from that Marshall game was Notre Dame is now at the front of the line in the in the quarterback <laughs> transfer market. And yeah. that's that's what it is. They need they need a bridge to car because you can't rely on someone coming in. And it's just, you know, Tyler Buckner was highly regarded, one of what probably one of the bigger gets in recruiting. And it's very early. And you have to give time for these guys to grow and develop. But right now, he just seems like he's overwhelmed and he has not a lot of high-end skill to work with. And I feel like Notre Dame really just has to get creative and lean into its identity a little bit. Like they have an elite offensive line. Um, I was surprised Chris Tyree only had three carries in that game that we, you know, kind of looking back at box score scouting that, that mm-hmm. surprise like that, that guy's been a pretty good back there for, for a long time. And he's got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of wiggle and in an explosion. So, um, and they've become predictable and going to mayor. I mean, that that's apparent. Um, you know, he had eight catches for 103 yards. They need, they need someone else. Lorenzo Styles has had some nice moments for them, but they just need, they need to find a little bit of a, of a clearer identity on, on offense. Cause it's not, it's not happening there right now. And that's clearly the side of the ball that, um, you know, that, that the issues are on at Notre Dame. I agree with you in terms of quarterback play, but I want to hasten to point this out. And it's one of the things I think that sometimes we in the media and particularly it happens with fans because they're so emotionally invested in the success of their particular team. If a guy's not great immediately, 
Everyone acts as if it's against the law or against the rules for them to get better. Um, and Tyler, <laughs> and you know, it's like, well, he that he yeah. is what he is. There is so much, not just in terms of coaching, but in terms of physical development. Now, guys, guys are allowed to get better. The problem becomes if you ruin them mentally. And, mm-hmm. and that is where you worry about a guy like Tyler Buckner, who I think you're right right now looks that like he's not quite ready, not quite up to the challenge. If you don't crush his confidence, then he is allowed <laughs> to develop his skills and improve and get better. That's not there. The NCAA hasn't mandated that rule that, well, Tyler Buckner, you are what you are and that's it. And we've got to go to the portal to find someone else who, who is, uh, who is what he is and is going to be better and let him get better. You know, he's, he needs to improve. He needs to make bigger plays. He needs to um, be as effective a runner as he was at times last year. And there were times when they did that with him Saturday against Marshall. They, they're going to have to go into the portal and get competition for sure. But I don't like the notion, and I'm not, and don't misunderstand, you weren't implying this at all. I'm just sort of speaking mm-hmm. generally here. Sure. I don't like the idea of he, he's no good. Get him out. Let's get somebody else. You know, let it, let's see if he can improve. Now, if he can't hold the job now and he has to go to the bench and, and improve there, well, he gets a chance to do that. So, uh, and that, that would be the same, you know, that's the same for a lot of young quarterbacks. You throw them out there. We see it in the pros all the time. It'll be a, it'll be a miracle, even though I thought he played well yesterday and I want to go down a pro thing. It'll be a miracle after the way the Dolphins misused the beginning of the Tua Tungvaloa career if they haven't, if they haven't uh, ruined the sauce there. And it looks like they've got a chance after what I saw yesterday. And hopefully that'll mm-hmm. be the same. That'll be the same for Tyler Buckner and any other quarterback that you get ready to, you know, get ready to smash because they didn't come out there and, and, and looked like stinking Quinn Ewers looked before he got, Ooh. you know, oh man. Oh, I was like, he okay. Was spinning it. You know Ooh. what? It wasn't even the drop in the end zone. It was, it was, the, I don't remember who hit him. It might've been Toto, but he completed a ball uh, to the left side of the field as he was getting hit that came out. And I mean, it was a dime. And that was the moment I was like, okay, hype, real, legit dude right there. I mean, he's, uh, man, can't wait till he gets well because also guys who have success and look great, they too are allowed to improve as they go along. And even sure. the jump from game one for Quinn to until he got injured in the Alabama game, he he looked sensational. So, um, you know, that there we'll get to that too. How about the disaster that happened in terms of uh, in terms of wins and losses for Texas A&M from their perspective to Appalachian State. How, how about this for Appalachian State? You go in to College Station. You collect right around a million and a half bucks. So you get their money. Then you go in and you get their win. And you also took College Game Day away from them because we were going to, we were going to College Station for the Miami game and now we're not. Now we're uh, App State is one of the stories of the season, not only because they beat Texas A&M, but because of that wild game that they played the opening weekend against North Carolina. So 
covering the sport in its entirety, not just covering the upper echelon, the playoff contenders. Appalachian State, because they lost to North Carolina, they're not a playoff contender, but they are. That doesn't matter. We cover the breadth of the sport. This is a major uh, storyline of the of September, and we're going there to celebrate. And it's going to be wild, man. I mean, and, and it was a great win too, by the way. We can talk about the Aggies' problems, but Appalachian State uh, going in and winning winning that game there was was an impressive and great win. And what a weekend for the Sun Belts overall. Yeah, well, Sean Clark, the App State coach, who we're going to get to know a lot better this week uh, <laughs> as we head to Boone. Um, you want to talk about a way to win that makes an old offensive lineman's heart glow. All right. They had consecutive drives in the second half of 11 plays and 18 plays and drained more than 15 minutes off the clock. And that's in the second half alone. They held the ball for 41 minutes. A lot of times when you've seen upsets, you know, big, big upsets like this early in the season, it's been because guys run spread or guys run tempo. No, 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 no. App State went there and pounded it down their throats and moved the chains. That should not happen to Texas A&M. That should not happen with all those five stars. That should not happen with the talent and athleticism advantage that they have in the trenches. So um, how about this for uh, Kevin Barbary, former Texas high school coach, App State's OC. His debut at App State last week, he scored 40 points in the fourth quarter and lost, which I, we talked about. That has never happened, all right? Yeah. 40 points in one quarter and you lose is bonkers. And then he comes back and holds the ball for 41 minutes and wins in College Station. And, of course, they couldn't get out that night because they had mechanical issues on the plane. So they had to – they didn't spend the night there necessarily at the at the team hotel. Because, look, you know, in these college towns, Reese, people are like, why didn't they get them hotel rooms? Well, these places are booked for yeah, years yeah, in advance. Yeah, right. So they stay there Friday, and then they pack up, and they go right from the stadium. So they just went back to their hotel and, like, sprawled out in the lobby in the conference room for a few hours before they could find a plane. So, um, that kind of rubbing it in their faces inadvertently a little bit with, uh, with yeah. all the Aggies that were distraught. Oh yeah. You know, no, I'm sure. I'm sure there were some awkward run-ins in the, uh, in the, in the hallway at the vending machine. You know, that's, uh, the other thing too, we've talked about the head coaching thing, Texas A&M new defensive coordinator, yeah. you know, Mike Elko's gone head coach mm -hmm. at Duke. Now DJ Durkin came from, from Ole Miss. How about Mike Elko's weekend? Yeah, not bad. How about off to a 2 0 start? They jumped all over Northwestern. Did you see the last play of that game? And if you didn't, uh, I know you're on a plane flying. Yeah, with your, yeah I, your... I haven't. I read about it, but I haven't, okay. haven't seen the play yet. Yeah. yeah. So I had it up in the press box in Texas, Alabama. And I'm sure I was the only reporter who had that game up, but it was like coming down <laughs> to the end. So I'm like, well, you know, okay, it's covering the game, but I'm also watching. And it was a bang, bang play at the goal line down eight. Like Northwestern was going in, and a Duke safety came in and popped his head on the ball. And like it was one of those where, and again, I wasn't dialed in on the replay, but I was like, he could have scored. He might not have scored. Like it was mm -hmm. at, like, it was like a, you know, it was like a bang, bang, you know, double play call for an umpire. I, I it was a, an unbelievable like moment. So you think about all the 150 plays that are usually in a football game. Right. And for a game to come down to a goal line fumble like that, it was, it was pretty remarkable. So good for Duke. Anyway, I just hijacked the pod. Sorry. No, no, no. That's good. That was awesome. Um, do you think anybody's got next in the in the Sun Belt? Because you got a couple of candidates. South Alabama is at UCLA. And if you want to harken back to 2007 and Alabama not exactly looking like a juggernaut, you know, Louisiana Monroe this week, right? 
Yeah, I don't think Old Monroe uh, is going to uh, is is going to no do Bill Moore's you know going out there. Yeah, do you know who the South Alabama offensive coordinator is Reese? I do. Yeah, it is Major Apple White. Major Apple White. Yes, that is uh, that that is that is correct. And Kane Kane Womack is uh, is the head coach there now, who who did a great job at at Indiana's defensive coordinator, right? He did so. a great job at Indiana's yeah. defensive coordinator. Yeah. So do no, you think you think no they got a shot? You think they've got a shot? UCLA. I don't because the way Chip has UCLA right now is they're going to have a physical advantage. UCLA has one of the best tight end groups in the country. We know where the best tight end group in the country is, but they 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 are kind of a ground and pound team. And I don't think Dorian Thompson Robinson, with all the starts he has under his belt through five years, is is going to lose a game like that. I think they 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 grind. They are talented enough to grind out a game and 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 figure it out. But like. What a moment for the for the Sun Belt, if only because th- this is a league as everything has gotten crazy geographically and as everything has gotten haywire, the Sun Belt, to their credit, said, we're going to build a league based on geographic common sense and local rivalries, all right? And it shouldn't be that complicated. But, you know, the, look, the TV money is going to be there for USC, Indiana, even if the, 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 the butts might not be in the seats. And the viewership might not be there. The money's going to be there to pay for those big matchups. But the Sun Belt sat back and said, "You know what? Southern Miss should play teams in the Sun Belt. Southern Miss should play their neighbors. Like they, they should. That there is just too much geographic common sense for Southern Miss to not play Troy, to not bust a Monroe. They mm-hmm. like it's almost like a pride in being a bus league." In that uh, in in that sense, that like South Al is not far from Hattiesburg, mm-hmm. and so the, the Sun Belt has done that, and they valued butts in the seats. They valued the experience of the players, and I give them a, a ton of credit. Uh, Keith Gill, the commissioner, and and some of the ads in that league, how they've strategically crafted their future, I, I think is really smart, and that's a good experience for the players too. And I think you're you're starting to see the manifestation of that. You look at Louisiana and the success they've had the last few years. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of smart people in the Sun Belt who have said forget this like you know geographic like honestly like shotgun relationships for cable contracts. They said mm-hmm. we're going to play our neighbors. Weekend review is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create one of a kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Really happy for Chase Bryce too. Chase Bryce. Oh. Now, yeah. now, now, 2-0 and oh in uh, Kyle Field, if memory serves. He didn't play uh, when Clemson went yeah. in there before. But now for a guy who's had a long college career, three stops, first Clemson, then Duke, which didn't go well. Now Appalachian State, which has gone very well for him. He's got some real signature moments. Clemson doesn't win the 2018 college football playoff because they don't make the playoff if Chase Bryce doesn't complete I think it was a fourth and nine pass against Syracuse on a final drive when they were down Kelly Bryant left the team Trevor Lawrence got hurt early in the game Chase came in they're down to their last play completes the pass they go on to score finish undefeated Trevor comes back you know they they win the national championship you look back at that year Ohio State Big Ten champion didn't make the playoff, probably goes rather than a one-loss Clemson team, even though that was a good mm-hmm. Syracuse team. Probably they – so you could easily make the argument that he saved a national championship for them. 
Now he, he leads Appalachian State with his teammates. You know, I'm not big on quarterback wins, you know, but they are the leaders of the team. Now he goes in there, helps his team win. Great leadership, veteran leadership. They get that victory at Texas A&M and really, really sort of upends things for A&M, uh, helps bring college game day to Boone. What, what are we in for? I, I've had people from North Carolina very familiar with that part of the country that they tell me I have no idea what we're in for when we arrive on Saturday morning. Well, we'll be there before then, be there Thursday. But when we arrive and do the show Saturday morning in Boone. I'm going to close the loop on Chase Bryce because this is a, it goes back to the Tyler Buckner conversation earlier. Mm -hmm. When he went to Duke, he led the nation in interceptions. It did not go well. And this is, I think, the beauty of the portal is he has found a home and now he will you know, live on an App State lore for that. So I've gone to App State once in my career. Uh, I was in Charlotte for the ACC tournament. Um, it might have been 19. And uh, it was when Eli Drinkwitz was there, and I went up and saw a, a, a spring ball one day. So the ride from Charlotte to Boone is one of the most interesting drives I've ever taken. So you know, like in the cartoons when like Foghorn Langhorn or somebody drives up a mountain and it's like, like, it's like you literally drive in a circle up a mountain and it's hard to quantify this verbally, but the stadium is like wedged in the side of a mountain. There are some of the steepest turns when you are leaving that stadium in that area and you take left turns, you are like jacking your car around at angles. I have never been on. So when they say the rock and they say top of the mountain, like it is literally on the top of a mountain. It is a completely wild place for a stadium to go. Look, we've been to stadiums all the time. Some are big spaceships. Some are dug in the ground, all different kinds. I have never been to a stadium that's quite like the one at App State on top of a mountain. So Boone is gorgeous. Um, a lot of people in that part of the world kind of have like summer homes there because it's up in the mountains. It's a little bit cooler. There's a lot of, uh, there's quite frankly, there's a lot of money around there and you can see why people would want to spend time vacationing there. Uh, it's a beautiful place. There's a lot of good breweries. There's a place called trash can falls, which I was told is about 10, 15 minutes from campus. It's what, like a waterfall area. I could see Pat McAfee going there and doing a couple of cannonballs. Uh, there's like cliff jumping and, uh, waterfalls, rock jumping, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's so Boone is like a great mix of like a good fun college town amid some of the nicest scenery in, uh, in America. So I'm, I'm fired up to go back there and I am confident, confident it will be one of the best shows we do this year. And I am most confident in the student body really showing out, um, taking advantage of some of those local breweries, perhaps early in the morning to get a little bit extra, extra juice for the, for the show. I've got, uh, I've received a list from a friend of mine about, and, and the list is extensive of great places to eat. That yeah. part, that, that's, I just uh, did a Google map thing to see how far my wife and I honeymooned in Cashers, North Carolina, up in the mountains. Okay. It was reminiscent of what you said about the steep turns. That's still three hours away uh, because I didn't know exactly how close. Great trout there. And there's a restaurant apparently called Speckled Trout not far from Boone, which is uh, pretty amazing. Supposedly great coffee shops 
and and great breweries, as you mentioned, which I'm sure people will take advantage of. Will you cannonball Drop with some recommendations, activity? folks listening? Uh, we want sure. we want them all. Yeah. We want them all. We're going to be there for a couple of days, and we we certainly don't go to Chipotle when we, and I love Chipotle, but when we go to these towns, we want to go experience them, experience them all. So we will be out and about in Boone, and uh, we will. Uh, I will at least sample a sample a brewery or beverage or two. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure me and a few of the few of the game day crew will uh, will you know just. Just to get a little local flavor. That's you all. know, I I, I hardly I, I don't drink much alcohol at all to begin with, but I've got this thing. I would never drink to excess the night before a show, but I won't even taste because if something were to go wrong, I would know intellectually that that had nothing to do with it. But I don't even I don't want that anywhere near my conscience. So you'll have to tell me you'll have to tell me how it is. I'll have yours. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll serve yours up. I'm not going to drink to excess, but I'll be- well, I know you won't. No, none of it, none of our guys do. I mean, that's yeah. uh, the the days of the 1970s broadcasters going yeah. out the night before the games and stuff and getting hammered and rolling in and doing the doing the telecast. Those days are long, long, long since over. Yeah, what people probably yeah, need people to know doing is- protein shakes and and yeah. uh, coconut water and so forth is what we have more of than that. I was on the Peloton in Austin uh, at six a.m. on the Friday before our meeting. Desmond came in, pedaled the Peloton slightly faster. He's a little twitchier than me. That may surprise you. <laughs> and then Gino came in and was on the uh, on the treadmill. So Desmond, to his credit, called out Jess Sims because there was all of us here, sitting there working out, and we're like, hey. You know, like at, at the very least, you know, Jess should come and try to, uh, you know, try to get one in. So she, she was, should uh, come and lead the class in person. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. I did the rowing like- machine there. I don't have one of those. The rowing machines, because I, I do the Peloton stuff a lot. Um, and Pollock swears by the rowing machines. That was a great gym oh, in great the hotel gym. in Austin, too. Proper uh, at the proper hotel yeah. in Austin, Austin is the Austin name Pollock. of it. Yeah. That was a yeah. great, a great hotel. Too, by the yes. way so yeah no that was uh, it was a good enough workout room to get me to work out so that has to that's <laughs> that's saying something <laughs> you know I, i'm looking forward looking forward to that looking forward to uh turnarounds coming up this week this past week was remarkable one thing cool. we probably should hit um georgia is rightfully number one i'd actually moved them to the top of my ep ballot the week before mm-hmm. um i moved i moved alabama down another spot uh you could probably justify dropping them even more than I did. But, you know, all credit to Texas. Gary Patterson's fingerprints, in my judgment, were all over that defensive game plan. And I, I don't mean mm-hmm. to uh, take anything else, but the, the pressures. And maybe Sark even gave us a clue uh, a week or so in, uh, ago when he said, look, the game plan's been in for three months. And whatever Gary's title is there is uh, – special assistant to the head coach of whatever it is, you know, is, uh, and I don't mean to take anything at all away from Pete Kwiatkowski, who I'm sure was uh, eminently uh, involved in that game plan as well. But you, you felt, you felt like they had really geared up for it and they were, they were extraordinarily effective. And your point earlier about having to have the quarterback, um, maybe if, you know, I thought Hudson card played well too, Yeah, you know, the, the question rears its ugly head again for Texas. You know, what if the quarterback doesn't get hurt? But Alabama has the dude. I mean, <laughs> he's not built anything like John Elway, but give him the ball at the end of the game, fourth quarter in trouble, and he reminds me of Elway, and that you figure he's going to get it down the field one way or the other. 
Yeah, I last saw Bryce Young in a situation like that in Auburn. And yeah. I mean, Alabama didn't move the ball all day. Auburn deserved to win that game. And you could say if Tank, Tank Bigsby falls down in bounds, they, they have a lot better chance of doing it. And But man, Bryce Young is just, you want to talk about like bloodless? He just had no emotion. And he did, th- th- those are two unbelievable drives on days where things weren't working, um, where he just went out and it absolutely came up biggest um in that i still don't know reese how he did not actually lose his head on that blitz uh you know down there i mean i was like oh my god he's gonna get sacked you might the game the clock might run out at that point if you get sacked there because i don't believe they had any timeouts so mm-hmm. i mean you want to talk about a a play that changes a season that was uh sark called it a houdini act i mean i you you just watched it you were like oh my god he is going to not only get hit but like he is going to get clobbered and he got hit and somehow spun out of it, ran down and, and, and set things up. It was a, uh, it was a remarkable performance by a remarkable player. And it, it's funny. My, my joke about Bryce young is that he lost the off season because he's not tall and he's kind of a slight guy. So for all the brilliance and all those moments he gave us last year in, in winning the Heisman trophy, it just, you know, you think back to that sec title game where he just absolutely slayed that Georgia defense all the brilliance he gave then you know the draft industry which is now it's like own uh you know its own sport basically um you know he's not big and sturdy like will levis he's not twitchy like anthony richardson um you know he's not built like cj stroud who's really filled in to be like a 220 pound nfl looking quarterback but ain't a better player than bryce young and he showed us that again on saturday he, he's not even as thick as Russell Wilson, but his running ability reminds me of he's got uh, innate ability to feel space. And if you question his strength, I know he's not thick, but go back and look at that blitz that you're talking about from the rear end zone camera. And when he got hit and look at where his quadriceps are relative to the ground and tell me that dude's not strong and balanced. Uh, just balance is exceptional. He, he's like he's in a mid squat, like probably the way the strength and conditioning staff had him mm-hmm. on their sports performance these days, uh, had him on the squat rack and he, he squat, butt headed the ground. Nope. Right up. Boom. Out. And it, it was it was a remarkable drive again. And look, you may you may have a quarterback in college football now that you may prefer because of you know, bigger arm, bigger frame, take the hit, whatever. I'll take that dude, especially when, when the chips are down and you need the drive. If, if he doesn't do it, chances are nobody could have. I mean, it was, it was a remarkable, remarkable performance and a great one for Texas too, which bodes well. If they can follow that up because anybody can step on a rake, fall into an uh, uncovered manhole, and lose a game, turn in a poor performance, which Texas caused a lot of it. But when you have 15 penalties, maybe could have called a couple more and had a few more declined, that wasn't a vintage Alabama performance. You know, anybody can play a game like that and, and mess up a game and lose. Anybody can pull the upset. The question is, can you follow it? And that, that'll, be, that'll be the question for Texas. I think they'll probably answer it in the affirmative, depending on their quarterback health situation. But uh, that that's the challenge now for them. is, And they've got UTSA this week, which won't necessarily just be a walkover situation. 
And then they're at Texas Tech, which uh, I quite frankly thought looked pretty good in what, what I saw in the end of their uh, in the end of their Houston game on uh, on Saturday, which is a huge win for for Joey McGuire and that program. Um, so one of the interesting things to, to me about Texas is okay, have they evolved? Have they have has the program changed culturally since Tom Herman left? So you go back to. 2019 that LSU game where they gave LSU everything and more. And that ends up being one of the better teams that we've seen. Certainly one of the better offenses we've seen in modern football. And that team by the end of that season had checked out a little bit. Um, They lost by 10 at TCU. They lost at Iowa state. They got kind of trucked by Baylor and Waco. Like they, that they lost, you know, they, they seem to lose interest a little bit. They were, they were probably, they were probably better than that. And one of the knocks on Texas, as it's kind of been lost in the desert here since the last couple of years of Mac Brown was, are the kids tough enough? Are they in Austin because they want to be in Austin and Sixth Street or are they there for football? And that is something that people who've coached there will talk to you about and tell you about. Um, And that's the question now. Can you beat UTSA, who is an excellent program? And those kids all got passed over by Texas, and that is the that is their Super Bowl. All right, um, and then can you go to Tech and, and win? Can you show some toughness on the road? Like it was it was interesting to be in the Texas press conference after the game. Reese one one guy before he asked a question actually asked Steve Sarkeesian. He congratulated Steve Sarkeesian before he asked him a question, and then kind of like bumble bumbled a little bit in explaining why he said that. And question after question from reporters like, can you keep this momentum going? And it was a little bit like, whoo, this is where Texas is. Now, again, they played well and there were sparks, mm-hmm. but they lost and they mm-hmm. squandered a lot of opportunities where they could have won that game. So it, it, I thought that was like an interesting portrait to where Texas was that losing, you know, engendered congratulations. Um, Sark was very positive and, and, you know, he gave the old we didn't lose. We ran out of time kind of uh, kind of line, which. Um, I'm sure some, some folks rolled their eyes out a little bit. I mean, but th- that said, like that, I, I'm not going to argue progress was shown. I'm just not ready to like hand out a participation trophy until I see more from Texas. Yeah. I mean, what they lost six straight at the end of last season. Yeah. So, you know, they, yeah. they have some, they have some psychological ground to make up yes. here for sure. All right. You get the podcast three times a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Spend a lot of time looking back, talking Nebraska coaching decisions, but we will turn our attention to game. We might even have to bring up the picks on Wednesday briefly because I, I again, was tragic. I mean, just awful in the selections. We'll address that a little bit on Wednesday and then move into uh, looking ahead to this weekend. So anywhere you get your podcast, however you like to get them, you can watch the entire thing on YouTube. We encourage you to download. We thank those of you who have. And please give us suggestions for the little tweets on College Game Day on Saturday morning. Pete puts up the news in the vein of the Woj bombs. What uh, Pete Pete's pods. What what are they? What it doesn't have to be alliterative, but you know, something something that makes them stand out. They're they're great, by the way. I watched the show back. Tremendous. Great job. We want some Boone Rex, too. We want to make yep. sure we enjoy our time in Boone. So uh, I want all the App State grads to, uh, to, to, hit us up on, uh, to hit us up on Twitter, and we are fired up to head there. Back on Wednesday with much more on the College Game Day podcast.